Welcome to NFP's Insights from the Experts podcast. Each episode showcases timely expertise and perspective from members of the NFP community, delivering information, analysis, and solutions that address our clients' most significant challenges. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Insights from the Experts. My name is Mark Ryder, Head of Innovation here at NFP, and super pumped today to be joined by Joe Spinelli, Chief Commercial Officer at MedTech21. Welcome, Joe. Thanks so much, Mark. Glad to be here today. I appreciate you joining us today and sharing a little insights about MedTech with our with our audience. Um, you know, for those of you who don't know, and, and Joe, just as a, a side note here, our our purpose here is really to provide a, a platform um, for the companies that we've been sourcing through our innovation lab that we're really keen on and that are, I guess, you know, active in spaces and in themes that we're really excited about. And genomics um, is something that, that from an innovation perspective, we've had our eye on for a while. So I'm super pumped up about this call and, and looking forward to the insights you can provide. Let's start off with just some basic, give me a little bit of personal background, get allow everybody to get to know Joe Spinelli before we dive into the product. Yeah, sure thing. So uh, I started working with uh, the team that became MedTech uh, about five and a half years ago. And the problem set that we set out to solve was really focusing around solving a lot of the, the data science and workflow challenges of practically using uh, this wealth of genomic information to help actually make tangible change for individuals. So the simple question that we really set out to answer was, um, for people that are taking you know, one or multiple medications, um, are they actually right for them on a personal level? And is there information that can be extracted out of uh, their genomic information that can be helpful in improving their overall care and potentially even lowering costs and preventing adverse events? And so uh, we had a team that came together uh, with diverse backgrounds from information technology, healthcare IT, data science, and, and the clinical side. Uh, and then I brought a background of uh, both product and, and scaling companies uh, from the other side of the table. Um, prior to joining the MedTech team, my background was in the, uh, the finance and venture capital world. So uh, I spent a fair bit of time understanding markets, uh, helping to see what was next, and back and support uh, great teams of entrepreneurs. And I was very fortunate to uh, join MedTech as it was getting started. So we initially began work with the long-term care markets. And as you can uh, probably ascertain, uh, a lot of folks in long-term care facilities are taking sometimes 10 or more medications. Uh, nobody really knows how they're working uh, in and amongst each other or whether or not sometimes people are taking extra medications because they're trying to fight side effects of something else they're taking. And so we were able to provide a lot of value to that, uh, to that world. And uh, over the last few years, we've expanded the same kind of program and principles that we applied to those populations uh, to broader groups, including uh, employer workforces, as well as entire health systems. Really interesting. So, so the team of folks that helped to form MedTech, um, their backgrounds, they come from the, just the research uh, side of the business, the pharmaceuticals, where, where where was the origination um, from the, the rest of the core team? Yeah, sure. So we did have uh, <clears throat> both uh, in-house and, and a group of, of folks that we worked with uh, on the genomic side to help parse and understand the, the data that goes into what we do. Uh, but the bulk of the expertise in the team was from 
the software and workflow side. Um, prior to building MedTech, uh, the team had actually built uh, a fairly robust tool that was used in the oncology space, uh, basically helping individuals to gain access to uh, infusion care. And uh, this program was focused on shortening the cycle time, uh, eliminating complexity, and making sure that the right drug got to the right patient at the right time. And consequently, what we do in pharmacogenomics is exactly the same thing. We get the right drug to the right patient at the right time at the right dose. So we took a lot of the process knowledge and understanding that we had from our prior experiences and, and solving not only the process challenges, but the technical challenges of connecting so many different data sources together, be it for medical record systems, claims data, patient data, and being able to simplify it and distill it down uh, into a tool that is easily used by both clinical individuals as well as non-clinical folks to actually create uh, demonstrable change. Interesting, interesting. Um, so at the end of the day, as many things are in this day and age, it, boils, it comes back to data um, and, and how we're utilizing that data. Uh, and it sounds like a lot of your folks, the, you know, we're looking at a data problem and then bringing it into this space, which is pretty cool. Um, let's talk about the industry. <clears throat> Some folks might be on the, the other end of this call hearing genetics and genomics and uh, wondering, you know, what's the difference between the two? And, and I, I, I certainly know of 23andMe that exists out there, not to bring names into it, but I know of them and, and, and how they're able to help me find that my great aunt is actually from Scandinavia, uh, but, uh, but, but may not be as familiar with the way in which the application can be applied and the difference between the, what you're talking about versus those tools. So maybe a, we'll call it a genetics 101 class for those that uh, may not be, um, you know, at the level to dig in and understand before we dive into exactly the way your product works. Yeah, sure thing, Mark. So um, maybe to take a, a quick step back to, to your question around defining, you know, what, what it is we do in the spaces that we operate. Um, you know, genetics and genomics are, are terms that uh, folks interchange uh, pretty often. Uh, and for the purposes of our discussion, you know, you can think of genetics as looking at either single genes or, or uh, single uh, efforts and genomics looking at kind of a more broad, comprehensive view for an individual. Um, single genetic testing or genetic assessment um, or an understanding of how genes interoperate actually dates back to um, you know, the, set the 18th century. Um, in, in understanding how plants, you know, breed, right? And so, you know, understanding dominant and recessive traits and things like that. Uh, and then, of course, that, that field of study has continued to improve with, with uh, data science over time. Uh, genomics itself and understanding the entire set of code that an individual has and its implications on what it means for, for you as a person and, and also some of the things downstream that can potentially impact you um, really bore out of a lot of the data science and research projects that kind of culminated in the 90s around, you know, the, the sequencing of the human genome. And since that point, there's been a number of different directions that uh, genomics have been applied for individuals, right? So we have this blueprint of what it means uh, to understand how your individual code base is set up. But now we got to understand what pieces of it are, are applicable and, and what different variants actually mean. So uh, a number of genomic uh, platforms or genomic data science was focused on inference studies, right? So we don't necessarily know that this combination uh, leads to uh, this result, but we can say that everybody that looks this kind of way can have the same uh, ailment or they have the same sort of traits or they have the same sort of 
um, uh, founding uh, uh, ancestors, right? So we can look for those inference studies through data science. And that's where uh, a, a lot of these uh, direct-to-consumer type uh, you know, genetic testing platforms came out of. So um, you know, there's, there is some not only utility and novelty of figuring out you know, where you came from and what your, you know, uh, what your makeup is, of you as a person, and then also inference studies around whether or not you, you, know, you uh, are a better responder of protein or, or fats or carbohydrates or, or some of the other things that are out there. Um, and those panels continue to get more complex and they evolve over time as more data science is in and, and more people participate. So those direct-to-consumer tests have really democratized the, the knowledge and understanding that uh, within your DNA is uh, a wealth of information that can unlock uh, things that can potentially tell you about you, but also uh, guide you to um, you know, treatments and, and regimens that might be more compatible with you as a person. Um, but there's a, there's a difference between that kind of study in genomics to clinical genomics which is really focused more on things that go through a much more rigorous medical process and can actually be used as part of a clinical treatment regimen. The one that most people are likely familiar with, both because there's now uh, a huge push uh, from, a, from a commercialization standpoint, is cancer genetic screening, right? So understanding um, what your you know, individual makeup is or what the composition of your tumor is. And based on that, um, we can provide and apply specific drugs that are known to respond to those cancers or those variants of cancers really well. Pharmacogenomics sits on the continuum between you know, the 23andMe and the direct-to-consumer test side and the clinical side, much more on the clinical side. Uh, what pharmacogenomics is, is understanding an individual's proclivity to process uh, or otherwise metabolize a medication, either you know, rapidly or slowly. And depending on how you as a person process that med, uh, it may mean that you might require a different dose than uh, someone in the general population, or it might put you at risk of a dangerous or deadly side effect, or there might be alternative medications that are more effective for you. And so pharmacogenomics sits on the clinical side of the world, and when used appropriately, it can actually play a very valuable role in determining uh, an individual's overall treatment regimen. Pretty cool. So, so yeah, I, I can totally see where there's that difference. I, I mean, I would... Be curious as your opinion, knowing that you're more on, again, that side that that is going deeper. Um, you may look at some of the commercialized tools as being, um, you know, not as up to par. And but, but, but I think they've probably done a really good job at least bringing this to the forefront and allowing people to understand what exists and getting them away from being afraid of something like genetic testing that they may be used to associate with the mutation of some animal sure, <laughs> and the fact that we are recreating that. So I, I would have to believe that some of that uh, commercialization and having it be part of their, uh, we'll call it their everyday lives is allowing you to be more successful with bringing this solution to the table. I mean, have you seen that ripple effect a little bit? Yeah, I think that's a, a pretty, uh, pretty valid conclusion, generally speaking. Um, you know, in, in most spaces that are emerging, you know, there's kind of a, a rising tide that, that lifts everybody from an awareness perspective. Um, you know, the, the big delineations in, in our world is um, as you look to some of those uh, you know, uh, direct to consumer or uh, consumer specific tests, uh, one of the things that has come to the forefront uh, is the understanding of, you know, what exactly are they doing with this and how is it being sequenced and who gets to own it and, and where does it sit and play? And, you know, that, that as much as it, it's brought people, I think, into the fold to understanding it, it also has, you know, looked to raise some questions around, you know, 
why am I participating in this and what does it ultimately mean? And am, am I, am I, you know, doing something that's actually going to be benefiting me or, you know, where is the economics in this? And so there's some security and privacy pieces that those questions have raised. But, but generally speaking, I think on balance, folks have realized that there is, there is value to these tests. And when you work with reputable vendors or, or groups that do have more of a clinical commitment bent, uh, edge to it, uh, there is a benefit for you. Uh, on the clinical genomic side, it, it operates in a completely different range, right? This is analyzing subsets or snippets of information that is very specific to what we are testing for. It's not a gene banking exercise. It's not uh, uh, a, a investigation to just harvest data and, and help on drug discovery, right? It, it's much more focused as a tactical tool. Uh, and so oftentimes when, uh, for example, we're engaging with either clinical groups or, uh, or employer groups, one of the first questions that sometimes people will get is, well, isn't this like a 23andMe type test or a, you know, or is my data going to go somewhere? Do I get to own it? And one of the things that we always try to do is make sure people really understand that this is not a data ownership play. Um, this is looking at a very small subset of your information. And, you know, the, the analog to that is if you got a blood draw done, right, um, Quest and LabCorp are not going to be running a full panel or a full uh, assessment of who you are as a person. They're going to figure out your cholesterol level and call it a day. That's the exact same thing that we do on the genetic testing side. So the genetic testing piece of it is the tool, but it's always important to educate <clears throat> folks that, you know, there's different ways that data gets used. And this is really being used as a, as a tactical tool to help improve your care. So, so perfect segue. Let's talk about MedTech 21. I have, I'm sitting in the audience. Uh, I have, I'm an HR director or a finance um, director. <clears throat> I'm interested in, in this. And, and I'm understanding, I want to understand more about how does this actually help me as a plan sponsor, either create a, a healthier population or reduce costs and exposure or both. And, and so not only the use case, but then also how is it implemented and how is it maintained and monitored? How, what is it that MedTech 21 does as, yeah. as a, a, a tool for an employer? Sure. So MedTech operates with a, a multi-pronged approach um, that comes back to what I mentioned earlier is answering simple questions using complex tools and data science. And those simple questions we wanna answer are the things that help drive that benefit for your group. And the questions that we wanna answer are, who in your population today are taking medications that might put them at risk of a dangerous or potentially deadly uh, adverse reaction or side effect? And let's go figure out who in that population um, is actually impacted. Step two is now that we understand who they are, let's go educate them and run an intervention to offer them a uh, clinical pharmacogenomic test to help understand how we may be able to improve or optimize their treatment regimen. And then step three of that is to show the work and say, okay, we've been able to actually catch this type of incidence rate uh, of potentially uh, improper medications within your population. We've worked with their clinical providers to get that fixed. And this is what it now translates into. And the economic benefits are, are kind of uh, coming in three flavors. The first is on the actual pharmacy savings. So um, oftentimes you'll find individuals, particularly that are on uh, complex behavioral health regimens, where you know it's been a trial and error course with their with their providers for the last six months to a year of you know every month they go in and they up a dose or or reduce a dose or layer another medication on, and there's not really been ever an understanding of does this uh, regimen actually uh, work in a compatible fashion with this individual. And so we can cut out a lot of that, that time to titrate as well as the med complexity for those folks. And that's a very simple uh, example of 
one of the ways that we can actually drive savings and improvement on, on the medication side. The bigger impact- I'd have, have to believe it goes past, I'm sorry to interrupt, and that would even have to go past just the, the ingredients cost and potential um, you know, time off from work of people trying to have to go back and forth to the doctor. What you're basically saying is it's a, hey, somebody goes in and I'll, and I'll, I'll maybe, maybe this is exactly right, but for depression, and uh, doctor says, okay, we, we, we can put uh, can prescribe a drug for you. There's four or five of them. Uh, let, let's start with this one and uh, take it for a week to whatever. Uh, let's check back, come back for, a, we'll get you scheduled for a, a visit again in two weeks and we'll, we'll see how it's going. And if it's not working for you, we have another one. So if that's what you're saying, so you're also then talking about somebody that might could be impacted from either an absenteeism or presenteeism perspective if they're employed, you know, at, at an employer. So it kind of goes beyond just the cost of the drug, right? You you got yeah. it exactly. And that's really one of the other two pieces of this. So component one is the the, the very black and white med savings through through the reduction of unnecessary meds. Step two is actually the downstream benefits to overall care costs, which do bleed in, I think, to, to what you're mentioning here, which is you know, yeah. potentially less doctor visits, potentially uh, less adverse events. And for a number of the medications for which this is impacted, um, and there's over 200 plus of them in some of the most commonly prescribed uh, segments of, of care that face most employer groups, um, you are actually to uh, show downstream benefit in terms of reduced care complexity, reduced care cost, reduced hospitalizations. Um, and you know, the, data, the data studies that continue to come out are, are continuing to help solidify that for groups. So it's, it's one thing to say, well, you know, we don't necessarily know if by getting someone off of an improper cardiac medication to the right one that we've prevented a heart attack, but we now know through these very large uh, population studies and analysis that you will see on average a 30 to 40% reduction in those types of events. And so that's where our reporting functionality really comes into play. So we can help spike the football for the program. Uh, and then, to, as you mentioned, really the, the overall quality of life for an individual comes into play as well, particularly as we think about employee productivity and happiness and satisfaction. The behavioral health example is a perfect one because what does it mean when someone has been spending the last six months trying to stabilize themselves on a, on a behavioral health medication and they're going through all sorts of uh, you know, terrible side effects um, or they're, they're just not getting the relief that they wanted and they don't know where the end is in sight, of course they're not going to be as productive as someone who's on a more stable uh, regimen. And so the faster we can get that person restored uh, to, uh, to a, uh, a more operative state, uh, and they're back to work happier and more productive. It's it's a huge win all around for everybody. So you, you mentioned behavioral health a couple of times. And uh, so I'd have to assume that that's, you know, one of the, we'll call it top five, top 10. People that are sitting out in the audience that, you know, they, they've, they've done their claims analysis with their uh, consultant and, and they know the, the top drugs. What are some other categories? If I, I mean, I don't need to go exactly you know, in this order, uh, top one through five, what are the, some of the other areas where your tool is most impactful, uh, you know, outside of behavior? Sure thing. So, so the big care classes <clears throat> that we find uh, most often and that also have the most uh, documented uh, benefit, and by documented meaning that there's actually FDA guidance for these types of medications. So it's not, it's not an inference study. It's, it's information that is in many times on label for these medications. Uh, is behavioral health, as we mentioned, uh, cardiology medications, 
pain medications and opioids. Um, codeine is a, is a big one, for example. Uh, and then we also do see some impact in gastroenterology, oncology, um, uh, anti-seizure medications, uh, Hep C medications uh, are kind of the bigger pools. And what, what, one of the things that we do early on in our process, which we can go through, is actually run a data analysis on the uh, filled scripts or active scripts for a, a population to help actually draw out where those medication risks are today on a per individual basis. And when you risk stratify those groups, what you will often find is that the groups that are most at risk of a pharmacogenetic conflict because they're taking one or in some cases, multiple medications that have a risk of an adverse event, uh, they also correlate very strongly to uh, costing you well above what your median population would spend for drugs and are filling sometimes you know, three to seven times more medications per year than folks that are not on pharmacogenetically sensitive meds. So that gives the groups we work with a lot more confidence that yes, not only is this a good idea, not only does it make logical sense to get people on the right meds, but we're also gonna target our engagement for folks that are already in a cohort that are costing you a lot of money. Yeah, so it's not a, it's not a put this in, in case of, you can actually pinpoint and, and look at and probably run an analysis then of what the potential savings could have been had you gotten folks on to the proper medication quicker. Um, I mean, certainly, you know, unfortunately, I think where we stand today, people are going to be coming out of, as we return to work, the first order of business is figure out how we're going to return to work next order of businesses. How can we save some money um, and not, not need to do that with reducing benefits, but maybe, you know, pinpointing uh, benefits a little bit better. So, and then you know, let me talk about the tests uh, for those that might not, you know, might be wondering, is this an invasive, invasive test? Like what, how does one get tested uh, for genetic genetic testing? Is it a swab? Is it a saliva? What What is it? Yep. Great, great question. Uh, pharmacogenetic tests are run off a, a simple cheek swab. And uh, for anyone who's been exposed to what's happening in the, in the COVID testing world right now, uh, that would be an invasive test. That's something that that is uh, you know a lot more com uh, uncomfortable and goes uh, very far into passages that people aren't familiar with uh, swabs going. This literally is a, a, a Q-tip-like device that you stick uh, in your mouth. Um, you just roll it around in the back of your cheek for for a few seconds, and you put it in a vial and you send it off to the lab. So it doesn't take a, a lot of work or effort. It's very non-invasive. Gotcha. You know, you brought up a couple things um, there that, that lead me to the next question. And you spoke about the FDA. You spoke about COVID, and and I, I, you know, having had the time over the course of the last eight or nine weeks while we're all uh, stuck inside, I've certainly done a fair amount of reading, and I've always had, I guess, listened to what was happening with a watchful eye around innovation. And um, there was uh, some of the White House briefings, uh, the FDA Commissioner Hahn spoke a little bit around uh, FDA expanding its work regarding potential therapeutic options. And, and his quote was actually, we need to make sure that these, this is seen, that the, the, we see these treatments will get to the, the right drug, to the right patient at the right dosage at the right time. Um, and as an example, we may have the right drug, but it may not be in the appropriate dosage form right now, and, and that may do more harm than good. So this personalization around med you, you believe that, uh, and again, not trying to be opportunistic with what hasn't, but, but from adversity drives opportunity. Do you think that what is happening now is going to shed some more light on the industry, uh, give it a little wind behind the sails? Um, what, what do you see the impact uh, being? Yeah. 
Yeah, sure. So, so the good news uh, for pharmacogenomics more broadly is even even prior to the onset of this, uh, we were seeing a, a you know a kind of a slow march uh, more broadly speaking in terms of broader awareness and understanding. Um, and actually, what's really interesting is you see it both driven from um, the you know the regulatory community with the FDA being a lot more specific in their guidance and, and making sure that um, test results are done and presented in a manner that's uniform. Uh, but you've also seen uh, a lot of uptake from uh, you know from the clinical side as well, where doctors are now you know overwhelmingly eighty plus percent of them understand the clinical utility of this and have just had a hard time crossing the chasm from comprehension to utility, which by the way, is one of the things we try to help solve. I think specifically to what uh, the FDA's pronouncement on on the COVID uh, you know potential vaccine or therapies are, is right in line with the guidance they had for other novel uh, therapies that were coming down the pipe, particularly at high cost specialty meds. Uh, I'm sure a number of the uh, groups on the benefits administration side um, have their own stories of, of you know, paying uh, exorbitant amounts of, of, of money for novel therapies only to realize that uh, the efficacy was uh, not universal and that there was only subsets of people in the population that were going to get benefit at the end of the day. Uh, and so there was already a, a, a huge call to say, OK, well, if we're going to provide these kind of novel therapies, let's do everything we can to make sure that they're going to be useful for these people and, and determine if there's uh, you know, metabolic implications on, on dosing or, or efficacy. So we've already seen with the very early pieces of research that are coming out, um, both from uh, overseas as well as domestically, that there are certain markers uh, that might lend itself to better receptivity to certain uh, targeted therapies for, uh, uh, for COVID treatments, uh, both for um, infection treatments as well as potential um, uh, vaccines. And uh, it's obviously still too early to tell how that's going to play out. Um, but we're seeing already the cohorting of individuals where if you already have certain predispositions to other indications, for example, uh, folks that have a, uh, a low vitamin D level seem to be reacting much more negatively to this. And there's other, there's other types of things that are, that are playing in. So can we identify other risk factors for folks that are at risk of a severe reaction to COVID? Uh, which is one potential use of this, but also can we find individuals who might respond better to certain therapies based on their metabolic profile? So again, very early on in, in the determination of that. Um, but the good news is um, specifically around uh, pharmacogenomic testing is that this is a, a one and done test, meaning that if you've gotten a pharmacogenetic test done at some point in your lifetime and the same gene SNPs are being analyzed, it, it'll be universally applied to you throughout your life. And so we'll be able to know uh, pretty early on through this process based on individuals who've been tested previously, um, you know, where the footprint of folks are that could uh, potentially be good candidates for different therapies. And it should not only be an accelerant to finding uh, some relief in terms of uh, uh, you know, helping to stem the tide of this through uh, through the pharmaceutical channel, um, but also you know potentially open up other novel therapies. So you know, a, a roadmap of sorts of your uh, of the way in which you work, so that you can more readily be treated or you know um, prescribed medication wherever the world might go and whatever we might see see next. Um, certainly, it, it, exactly, yeah, pretty deep. So so we're we're coming down on the time. Uh, I'd love to know. Hearing, especially that last point you made around once the test is done, you have this map. Where does MedTech see themselves going over the course of the next few years? Um, a roadmap, uh, have you 
do you see the continuation of staying in the pharmaceutical space or do you see um, that being, you know, the first use case, which then allowed you to springboard into other areas of, of, of uh, you know, health, healthcare? Yeah, it, it's a great question. And um, I think the good news is that even in light of everything that's happened over the last few months with, uh, with the onset of COVID, it's not going to really impact what our long-term strategy always has been, which was, you know, first and foremost, let's help find the low-hanging fruit. Uh, in your population, right? And that's really where we are in our growth process today is being able to come into a population that hasn't had access to this type of diagnostic or the ease of use that was, was really necessary to make it uh, usable at scale and help impact that single digit percentage of your population that can get immediate benefit. And then to your point, you know, where do you go from here? And, you know, we were fortunate enough, uh, you know, earlier on in our development cycle to diversify the types of diagnostics that can also benefit from this type of um, rigorous process of risk assessment, uh, intervention, and then dissemination of, of knowledge and reporting. So things that we've also been focused on uh, include antibiotic stewardship, wound care, uh, broader respiratory pathogen panels. We're, we're already supporting things for, for COVID. And so it really can become a much more universal front end for diagnostics. So that's on, on kind of the, the expansion side, but I think more specific on the model piece, which is probably going to be good news to a lot of the groups that you're uh, engaged with and, and talking with, um, is that, you know, the big thing that's vexed this space historically has been, you know, kind of crossing that chasm between here's the data in your, in your population, and this is what you should expect to save, but also developing more novel outcomes-based um, uh, types of programs where it can really help showcase to the groups that we work with that if you put this program in place, you're effectively playing with house money. And here's why, right? So uh, it's a big leap from just saying, okay, well, if we know we can help prevent one cardiac event, your money good on the program, right? I mean, that, that's one way to do it, but what we wanna do is get more tactical with that. And it requires both a combination of really strong partners on the benefit side, alignment with uh, the payer community. And as we just see a, a broader move towards more outcomes and value-based care, we want to play a role in that. And, and we believe we have pole position to do it. So um, we're excited to see how this thing evolves. We're, we're still engaged in those conversations, um, you know, very actively, even though uh, there's other focuses, you know, kind of in the very near future here, uh, as we all try to get back to a, a return to work scenario. Uh, but, you know, broadly speaking, be it medtech or the industry at large, we really do think the future is bright for uh, the way that pharmacogenomics and, and broader diagnostics uh, like this can play a role in, in optimizing care and lowering costs for everybody. Yeah, I mean, we're certainly in alignment there. You know, the belief that uh, enhanced data sets will uh, drive better actionable insights and, and better outcomes. I, I think that that is holds true across the industry. And I think you'll see more and more tools helping to do that, helping employers to do just that and, and plan sponsors. Well, hey, Joe, really appreciate you taking the time. How about how about you give uh, the audience a little uh, guidance as to how they might be able to connect with you? Uh, they have questions about med tech. I know that there's a partnership in place with our team. I know you're growing your business elsewhere. So maybe you can give a little bit of a, hey, how, how can I reach Joe? Website information, contact information. Uh, well, certainly, I'm sure there's some people out there that have some questions, and if they're as intrigued as I uh, am and was during this conversation, they might want to dive deeper. 
Absolutely. So um, easiest way to learn a little bit more about MedTech and, and how it can work with you is, is our website, which is medtech21.com, which is M-E-D-T-E-K-21.com. Uh, and you can reach me uh, via email, uh, jspinelli at medtech21.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Joe Spinelli, on LinkedIn at Joe Spinelli. Uh, and we'd be more than happy to engage or any question, answer any questions that we have there. But more, I think, germane, the NFP group, as I mentioned, we've done uh, some really great work with both NFP and the ARC Solutions team more broadly. And um, you know, if you are already engaged or working with uh, groups from either one of those, uh, feel free to reach out to them and uh, we can uh, really help uh, show you exactly how this type of program approach can benefit your population. Hey, Joe, we're both from the Philadelphia area, so I know I know how to spell Spinelli. But can you maybe uh, shed some light for our audience? You know, we have people calling and listening in from all over the country, and us East Coast guys might have it. But uh, let's let's give some guidance. Uh, abso- <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it's uh, S P is in Paul, I N is in Nancy, E L L I. Uh, emails J Spinelli at medtech21.com, and again, that's M E D T E K. Uh, and then Twitter's at Joe Spinelli, uh, and LinkedIn's Joe Spinelli as well. So ha- happy to chat with anybody as they see fit. Hey, thanks again, Joe. Really informative. Uh, And audience, until next time, take care.